afternoon. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, I'm Michelle Morris from Consolidated Planning Group. I'm so happy that you're here with us today, and I'm happy to welcome Mark Olson. Um, he is going to be going over some super helpful information about changes um, in 2023 uh, to housing rules and um, waivers and all of that stuff. So um, a couple of quick housekeeping items before we get started. Um, this webinar is being recorded. After everything is over, you will receive a link uh, to the recording, which will be on our YouTube channel, and you'll receive the slides. The email will also have all the information about how you can contact Mark or Consolidated Planning Group in case you have questions. Um, actually, we've even started working, uh, trying our hand at podcasting. So maybe there'll even be a link to our podcast in there. We'll have to see if we can get that in there. Um, we are in webinar mode, which means that we cannot see you or hear you, but I can see that you're out there. I can see the numbers rising as people are still coming in. Um, so if you have any questions, and I encourage you to have questions and comments, you can put those in the chat box. I'm going to be watching the chat box as Mark presents the information, and I'll stop him when there are questions. Um, so feel free to put any questions or comments in the chat box, we will get to that. Um, like I said, it's being recorded. I think that's everything I need to tell you. So let's go ahead and get started. We do plan on ending right at one o'clock or maybe a little bit earlier. We'll see how it goes. At Consolidated Planning Group, just a quick note about who we are. Um, we are a holistic financial planning firm. We are uh, a boutique style firm, really small and independent. We're located just outside of Houston. And we focus on families that have special needs loved ones. We help with financial planning, um, special needs planning, making sure that you get all the benefits that your loved one deserves and that you don't jeopardize those benefits in any way. Uh, we can help with the things listed here on the screen, protection plans, lifetime care, transition planning, ABLE accounts. And of course, we always focus on education and advocacy. That's why we do these free webinars uh, several times a week. Um, like I said, you'll get a link to this webinar. And if you wanna see any of the others that we've presented in the past, they're on our YouTube channel. The link to the YouTube channel is already in the chat box as is the phone number and um, email address for Consolidated Planning Group. And if you want our website, it's just consolidated, consolidated planninggroup.com. <laughs> so without any further ado, I present Mark Olson. He's going to talk to us today about the Medicaid waiver ch changes uh, that are coming up and what we're going to see in 2023. So Mark, thank you so much for being here and presenting this information to us. Thank you, Michelle. Um, just on this slide alone, if I have any of my friends from 29 Acres up in Denton on here, you'll recognize this image um, because it's your project. Um, Michelle, we can skip ahead. So very quickly, um, who am I? Um, first and foremost, I'm the father of two significantly developmentally disabled adult daughters, an 18-year-old and a 27-year-old. So everything I talk about today is a lived experience for me, as well as really the driving force behind what we do for, for our work. Um, we do three things uh, at LTO Ventures, which is a nonprofit organization I founded in 2010. Um, we are developing a neurodiverse, mixed-use, intentional community in the Hill Country. Uh, we're going to call it Autumn Hills Village. Um, we do a lot of work outside of the state of Texas. So we are a consultant and project manager on six intentional communities in five states. We're in Arizona, Connecticut, two in Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. Um, uh, and we are national in our scope, so I expect we'll reach into other states as well. Um, and I've been spending a lot of time this year and really what we're going to be talking about today is advocacy for the rights of individuals uh, with IDD. So, Michelle. So what are we going to cover today? All right. So we only have an hour. Um, I'm going to start with a brief recap of the Medicaid HCBS or Home and Community Based Services waivers in Texas. 
Um, I'm going to explain why some of those waivers are changing. I'm going to hit on a couple of points about what are the most significant changes that are coming, um, specifically in residential and non-residential uh, categories. Um, I'm going to give you some hints on how individuals with IDD and their families and caregivers can prepare for those changes. And then at the end, we'll have a page full of links uh, for more information. Um, thanks. All right. So um, I don't usually have this in a presentation, but because of the breadth of what we're talking about and the limited time, uh, I wanted to make sure everybody understands we only have an hour. So I'm only focusing on two major changes today. Um, you'll see the link, uh, like I said, in the last slide, there'll be links for more information. So if you want to go read some of this stuff and it's super nerdy and technical, um, uh, I encourage you to do so. Um, the other thing is, as a parent um, and somebody, both of my daughters are on the HCS waiver, full disclosure, um, and a lot of my frame of reference will come from that today. I know families and individuals have worked very hard to understand what their rights are, to understand the funds that they can get, how they can be used. You're working with different providers who do different things. You know, you worked very hard to fine tune and tweak your situation. So while we're going to talk a little bit more broadly, I respect that your situation may be a little bit different. You may have found a way to get certain things that you need for your sons and daughters, just as I have for my daughters. The other thing is uh, there are seven waivers in Texas. We're going to talk about four of them. Um, each waiver is different, and it may each waiver may interact with certain programs differently. So again, I'm not trying to go through all the super details of each waiver and each program because we'd be here for three hours. Um, but I'm going to hit on the high points. Also, I think it's really important to understand that we're going to be talking about rules that haven't been published yet, the final rules that have not been published yet by HHSC, the Health and Human Services Commission in Texas. Some of that is supposed to come out in December, and I'll explain a timeline, I think, in the next slide or two that you need to understand sort of more broadly. Uh, and the last thing is I don't have all the answers. There are so many questions and so many unique situations. I'll do my very best to answer them as accurately as possible. There may even be somebody on this webinar who knows an answer to something, and if you do, jump right in and throw the answer in. Um, uh, if I don't know the answer, I'll say so, uh, and I'll work with CPG very hard uh, to get answers back to every question, um, especially if we run out of time. Michelle, so we'll keep track of that. So next. Okay, so let's do a quick recap of Medicaid waivers in Texas. Like I said, I'm only going to talk about four of them today. I recognize that there are seven. Um, we're going to focus on the ones for individuals with the IDD, um, HCS, Texas Home Living, DBMD, which is deaf, blind, with multiple disabilities, and CLASS, which is Community Living Assistance and Support Services. Um, I do like to educate a little bit if, if you're relatively new to waivers. What each waiver pays for is called a service array. Service arrays vary for each waiver. Things like residential services, therapies, day habilitation, transportation are, are, are different in each of the waivers. Um, and then where the service is delivered, which is called a service setting, is really important. And so that's going to be one of the things we talk about. Michelle? Okay, so we're talking about changes. Why are there changes, right? Um, so Medicaid waivers are a combination of federal and state dollars. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or what we call CMS in Washington, D.C., sets waiver minimum rules, and then states can add things onto them specific to their state. Um, the, in January 2014, CMS issued what's called the Final Settings Rule, and this established new rules for all waivers used in residential and non-residential settings. So we're going to talk about residential and non-residential issues today. March, actually March 17th, 2023 is the deadline. All states must bring their waivers and their programs into compliance with the Final Settings Rule. They do this through a process called a statewide transition plan. You're supposed to have final approval by March 17th, 2023. Texas does not even have initial approval of its statewide transition plan yet. And they have been rushing since this spring to meet that deadline. Um, it's been crazy. Um, in addition to that, the 86th Texas, Texas legislature, which I believe was 2020 to 2021, um, required a plan to replace day habilitation, and they tied it back to the final settings rule regarding non-residential settings. So 
super nerdy, super technical. There we go. All right. So Michelle, please let's jump into it. So the first thing I talked about is more housing choice. So what do I mean by that? Residential services vary by waiver. So in HCS, for example, there's a specific category for that in DBMD, same as well. Texas Home Living has a different category that touches on residential supports. Class has a different category that touches on residential supports. Each one is different, but where you can receive those services, the language was very similar in all four waivers this spring when HHSC came out um, and they, they sort of created new places in the administrative code where the rules would sit and they, anyway, each one of those waivers had what I called 110 bad words. Um, and those were specifically, and this is where we're gonna get a little technical here. Um, I'm gonna use the HCS waiver just for illustration here. Um, eligibility criteria for program services Right, so we talk about service setting. Where can you use those funds to pay for supports for you to do something either residential or non-residential? Okay, and the the old rule, the one they came out with this spring, said um, an applicant or an individual is eligible for HCS services if they do not reside in a setting that, and if you keep going down to like A five J small I, right. <laughs> The dwellings create a residential area distinguishable from other areas primarily occupied by persons who do not require routine support services because of a disability. I don't know what distinguishable means, um, but it just can't be good. Um, most of the residents of the dwellings are persons with intellectual disability. That's pretty easy to understand. So they're saying you, can, you cannot get the services paid with the waiver if you're in a dwelling that's distinguishable, one where most of the people have IDD, or third, where the residents are provided routine support services through personnel equipment or service facilities shared with the other residents. Okay, I have a real problem with all this language. Um, and so this spring, we organized a statewide coalition of individuals with IDD, families, parents, caregivers, providers, um, and we responded to this. And we generated 1,006 public comments um, in opposition to this language um, with, we were about 750 people responding. Michelle, if you could go to the next slide. We asked for those lang that, that language to be removed. And when HHSC published their subsequent uh, draft rules uh, for the four waivers, this language was taken out. Um, we're very pleased with that. Um, we appreciate that HHSC listened to the vast majority of individuals with IDD, their families, caregivers, and providers in the state who thought that that language was unnecessary and restrictive. Um, and we look forward to working with them going forward. Michelle, next slide, please. What we also asked them to do in the waiver programs the state didn't really contemplate anything. Let's just use HCS, for example. They didn't contemplate a residential setting option um, separate from a family home or somebody living in their own place. They didn't contemplate a setting that um, was other than a place where you could get host home companion care or a three or four person group home. Um, and so what we've asked them to do is to, and again, I'm waiting to see the final rule come out, um, we asked them to put in another line that said individuals could use uh, that funding in any other residence of their choosing, provided that residence isn't an institution. And there's a bunch of language in the rules that defines what an institution is. Um, so we're hoping that that gets included. Michelle, next one. All right. So the other big thing that we wanted to get in here was a process called heightened scrutiny. Heightened scrutiny is essentially an appeal process. Any residential setting where you're going to use HCS waiver or, or, or some of these other waiver services um, cannot be an institution. It has to be a home and community-based setting. Um, and where there might be a question about whether it's truly home and community-based or has the qualities of an institution, heightened scrutiny gives us a process 
um, what we think is a fair process um, to be able to present evidence to say, no, it's home and community-based. We're very pleased that that got in and we look forward to working with the state on that. So what does this mean for individuals and families? All right, first of all, um, the rules emphasize what the federal rule emphasizes, which is settings should, should emphasize an individual's opportunities, outcomes, and experiences. It shouldn't be about ratios or numbers or distances or, or you know, other sorts of things like that. Really should focus on quality of life. Second, um, your options are no longer limited to group home or host home companion care options uh, as alternatives to family home or an own home. Um, and third, an intentional community, and if you've never heard that term before, it is a uh, residential or mixed use community that is designed to support individuals with intellectual developmental disabilities primarily. So uh, examples of that are 29 acres up in Denton. That was the rendering that uh, I began my presentation with. Um, a place like that can be an option, as well as communities and in development, including ours. Um, what that opens up for families in Texas and individuals at IDV in Texas is the development of more innovative, thoughtful um, settings that are designed to serve the needs of individuals with IDD, particularly individuals with higher support needs. So what's the next step? Um, HHSC says they will publish the adopted rules in the Texas Register this month, um, and I watch every Friday to see if it's in there. So hopefully they do. And I'm sure so that's housing know, right? Yeah, no, I definitely will. And I'll tell you how you can find out more information later on in this. So, uh, all right. Okay, so yes, it was a very dramatic headline in the, in the title for this presentation, but it's important. Um, in the 86th legislature, uh, there's a, there was a, uh, it passed with a requirement to end day habilitation. Now, um, it also required that it be replaced with something. Um, and it is being replaced with something called individualized skills and socialization. I'm just going to call it ISS because that's just a mouthful. Now, remember we talked about service arrays before. Dehabilitation is in the service array for HCS, Texas Home Living and DVMD. It is not in the service array for class. But what we know from the real world is that some providers um, offer something similar today habilitation because they are tapping into other um, things in their service array that can provide sort of similar supports. Um, so for example, in class, there's pre-vocational services, but there's not day habilitation by name. Now, the pre-vocational services may have a lot of elements of day habilitation in it, but you know, there's billing codes and things specific to each one. Anyway, day have ends March 1st, 2023. Won't be offered anymore. Um, it's going to be replaced with ISS. Now, the goals of ISS, according to HCS, I'm sorry, uh, HHSC, is it will provide more integrated services that maximize participation and integration of individuals with IDD utilizing Medicaid waiver programs. I'm a big fan of that. It'll provide on-site, off-site, and in-home. Now, the in-home is only for HCS and Texas Home Living, but it'll provide those service options. Again, fan of that. Um, it's going to use staffing ratios based on level of need to ensure individuals receive more personalized attention and more easily meet their personal goals in their person-developed plans, PDP, and ensure the health and safety of the individuals. Again, kind of hard to complain about that. I'm a fan. The devil's in the details on how it gets implemented. Michelle, next slide. Okay, um, we're going to go through two slides of issues that we have with this. And ISS is, we're waiting for final rules to come out. Final rates just got published. Um, I actively, along with a lot of other people, um, provide comment to the state about these when we're, we're attempting to work with the state. But there's a bunch of issues with this that, that have me concerned. First of all, the staffing ratios for, remember, on-site and off-site. So the idea is that individuals IDD don't spend all day in a building, right? They get out in the community as much as possible. I think that's a great thing um, if that's what an individual wants or what their, their LAR or their legally authorized representative want. Um, some 
there are probably some providers that just don't have the ability or there's not maybe not enough stuff to go around to do a lot of offsite. Um, but ISS is meant to promote getting out in the community. I'm a big fan. Um, but the staffing ratios, oh, I'm sorry. And staffing ratios are only named in the program regulations for offsite, right? When you think about being offsite, that's you know far riskier. Um, you really need a lot more support when you're out there. Um, and the new ISS regulation emphasizes that the individuals being served kind of get to choose more of what they, they do. Um, and so it becomes a little bit more challenging to try and organize individuals and get them out in the community to things that they choose to do um, under the new structure of this. So staffing ratios are only uh, listed in the program for offsite. They're based on LON. And my concern is because of how it's structured participants might get segregated into LON clusters, like only sixes go to something or one, it, I assume everybody knows what level of need is, but you know, ones and you know, ones and fives and one, maybe only ones get to go one place, nines only get to go to someplace else. And, and then when you get into um, how you staff that, it gets very specific because they say very specifically in the regulation, if you're a staff member, and you're assigned to serve participants of a particular LON off-site, you can only serve those individuals. If they're individuals with other LONs, or let's say you've got some in the HCS and some with Texas Home Living, you have to have additional staff to take care of them. That gets really challenging to put together. There's also different reimbursement rates for off-site versus on-site. And that can affect um, staffing. It can affect compensation of staff, uh, retention of staff. And then if you have a mix of onsite and offsite in a day or in a week, um, it just strikes me that that's going to be very complicated to try and ferret how to bill. Also, providers are gonna be required to get a new day activity and health services or DAS, DAHS license per site before they can provide ISS. They just opened up the application process for that three days ago. Um, I was on the webinar for that. Um, they have promised to have enough staff um, to be able to process all the applications. There are 583 HCS providers in the state of Texas. Um, hopefully they can. Um, they're gonna issue a temporary license that's gonna give us kind of a six month grace period in that. So hopefully that helps. Um, now, if you remember, I said there is an in-home service in, under HCS in Texas Home Living that you can do ISS in a home. Uh, it doesn't have to be provided by a licensed ISS provider. It actually could be a family member. So that helps. But you have to justify it. Um, uh, and there's like 15 things you have to produce in order to justify um, getting in-home. So it gets somewhat complicated. Um, Michelle, next. Okay, so here's, so we've been commenting extensively. Um, oh, we do have a question, what is LON? LON is level of need. Um, so each individual who gets uh, services through a waiver goes through an assessment process to determine how much services they need um, based on their individual medical, behavioral, and a variety of other things, and also what it is they want to be able to do. Um, there are different funding levels that go with your level of need. Um, and it's not even a linear thing. There's like ones and fives are individuals who sort of require less supports. Six, eight, nine require more supports. Um, but it affects the money, amount of money you have access to. Here's a big issue for us. So in addition to the staffing ratios, um, the reimbursement rates uh, are very problematic. Um, and and we're we're very concerned about that. We don't believe that they're proportional to the needs of the individuals, quite frankly. And I have said this in my public comment to HHSC. I think it favors LON one and five, which are individuals who require less supports, um, over LON six, eight, and nine who require more supports. Um, and for you know, there are probably going to be some providers who can figure this out and deliver the service, but there are going to be a lot of providers. This isn't going to be enough money 
for them to to pay competitive wages and cover administrative costs. I mean, right now I know providers get eight nine dollars. They're able to pay eight or nine dollars an hour. Bill Miller just opened up down the street for me. They're paying sixteen dollars an hour. I mean, how do you compete against that? Yeah. Um, and then uh, the bigger concern that I have is that some providers may choose certain LONs over others because they just can't make the money work, um, or they may limit or cease operations or have to go to private pay. Um, Michelle, did you want to call out a couple of questions here? Yeah, well, we just have a question. Uh, who determines whether or not a child qualifies for these services? Um, so it is a it is a process you apply with the state. Um, and I think it's been a while since I did it, so I don't remember exactly the process. But if you have if you go to there's a waiver page on the HHSC uh, website that'll take you through the process for doing that. Um, it's uh, there's a lot of paperwork that goes into it, um, and then ultimately. Uh, the state will determine what level of need they believe the individual has and gets funded for. Um, yes, so you have to contact your local intellectual developmental and disability authority. Yeah, your LIDA, yeah, L-I-D-D-A. Yeah. yes. You have to contact them for most of the waiver programs, mm -hmm. but then there's also a separate phone number for MDCP class and DBMD um, that you need to call to get on those waiver lists. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's two phone numbers at least that you'll have to call. Um, and before I shut up again, I just want to say <laughs> yes, this is being recorded. You will receive the recording uh, link and the slides in an email later on today or early tomorrow, possibly um, after we're done here. Um, also, can you, oh, I think we're probably gonna get to this, but yeah. in, more information on the place in Denton. Yeah, sure. Um, super quick, uh, just go to 29acres.org. Um, and Anne points that. out that, um, you know, the waiting lists for these waivers can be 15 to 17 years long. so get on them as soon as possible. They're not all that long, but most of them are. So, um, and then navigatelifetexas.org is another great website to help mm -hmm. you figure all of this stuff out. Yeah, okay. it's, um, yeah. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, the other thing the state will tell you is call 211 um, to get information. Um, I have tried to use 201 over the last couple of weeks and, um, I have to be honest, I know everybody, I don't recommend it. I was on hold forever and then it dropped me off. I couldn't get the answers I wanted. Um, it, it's just unfortunate. Um, all right, so let me let me just go through the rest of these issues. So um, here's another big thing. So in addition to providers have to be licensed to provide ISS, individuals who want to participate in ISS have to have it written into their person developed plan their IPC, their individual plan of care um, by March, 2023. And the providers have to develop an implementation plan per participant. All those things are required. Um, there are thousands of individuals uh, who are participating in DAHAB right now who will hopefully want to be part of ISS. And so there's just not a lot of time between now and, and March 1st. Um, and again, providers are supposed to provide on-site and off-site activities based on each individual's IPC. So, uh, you know, on any given day, an individual may say, may be scheduled to go do something off-site and, and decide, I, I don't want to do that thing off-site, or today I don't want to go off-site. Again, that affects staffing ratios. It affects a variety of different things. Um, so, uh, let's see. I'm talking about what comes after this. I wanted to see sort of process a few questions if we could here. Yeah, let's um, Michelle, let's let's clear up questions right now, um, really quick, because I'm going to go into how you can prepare for for this. Is there anything that jumps out at you? Um, well, it 
There was a question. If you're on the waiver list, does the case man do the case managers know about all these programs? But it's kind of been answered by another attendee who says that each waiver program has an intake coordinator mm -hmm. who works with the families and um, you know helps them understand the different programs. Yeah, I know that when um, when I moved here three and a half years ago um, and and applied for this. Um, I married a local woman, so whose whose daughter already had the HCS waiver, and she's like, "Okay, you got to call this number to get on HCS waitlist. You got to call this number to get on class, you know." And when you get on there, they tell you, um, you know, fifteen to eighteen years. Do you really want to do this? Um, um, I was fortunate and found an attorney who helped me to navigate the process uh, and get a diversion slot. So we got it quicker than that, but it's um, it's just difficult. Um, and Mark, you're talking about a crisis diversion slot. Not everybody understands what that is. So you can go into that a little bit. Yeah, it basically, it, yeah, crisis in the sense that I had to declare to the state that I was going to put my daughter in an institution um, if we didn't get the waiver uh, for her supports. Uh, and we went through that whole process. Both of my daughters are pretty significantly impacted. Um, uh, and uh, we made the case that met the rules. And um, so we were able to get the, the waiver and it's been incredibly important to us. Um, let's see what else I can add into this. Well, you know what, let's just, let's jump ahead to the next slide. We'll have plenty of time for a lot of Q and A at the end. We do have one more. Um, if there's a place where we can find out what the 15 things are that justify the in-home provision. Oh yeah, um, so I will have that link. Um, okay. It'll be on the last slide, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, it'll be super technical. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So, um, so how can you prepare, right? So CPG is very good about you know getting you information about you know how you can prepare for your son's or daughter's future. Um, so under housing choice, so first of all, you want to make sure that your son or daughter's PDP person developed plan includes information about all housing options and the case manager at the LIDA. Um, should be required to tell you about that. They may not know about it. It's quite possible they won't know. Um, so for that, you can go to the next bullet, which is CPG did a couple of webinars um, earlier this year on housing options in Texas. Had provided, in fact, there were so many providers to talk. We had to do it in two sections, um, which was awesome. Really thinking about making that a quarterly, yeah. uh, quarterly event. Yep, that'd be great. Um, so good information there and links to how to you know learn about that and a variety of different options, really a great variety of options. Um, you can also follow CPG, you know, sign up for their emails. Um, you can follow us as well. You can go to my website and sign up for our newsletters. Um, when there's information about new housing options um, or developments, you know, with the waivers, we try and keep that updated. I have an advocacy page on my website where I do try and capture some of that stuff, but it's it's a lot to keep up with. Um, as far as ISS goes, first thing is if your son or daughter is getting dehabilitation, talk to the provider. Ask them what their plan is to, to, to switch over to ISS um, and, and understand what it means for your individual's participation. That's the best source for this. But here's the thing that I'm finding. Not every provider knows about this. Um, I work with a provider who didn't know about this a month ago. Um, I can't say that the state has done a great job in communicating it. And the deadline is hard and fast at March. Um, if you have a case manager at your LIDA, um, you're going to have to talk to them about adding ISS to their to your son or daughter's PDP and IPC. Um, I strongly encourage people to sign up for HHSC emails at govdelivery.com. There will be a link on the last page for how to do that. Um, you can sign up with Get a, if you have a provider and they do email blasts, sign up for those. Find a local ARC chapter. Sign, get on the CPG email list, or you can get on my list or all of us, right? We try and get that information out to you. Sometimes it's a lot of emails, but it's better than no emails. Um, and here's a really important thing. I've been in Austin several times this year, providing public comment or testimony on things related to housing and the waivers, changes, and also ISS. We need more families to speak up, right? You, if you're on these, if you're on these email lists, and we know how to reach you, um, 
sometimes we need lots of personal stories. We need your public comments. Only three minutes. Sometimes you can do it remotely. You can write it up and send it in. But I'll give you a perfect example. And I mentioned it early on. When the waiver, when the four waivers came out um, earlier this year, I believe in April, and we needed those 110 bad words taken out to create more housing choices. We were able to rally a very large coalition of families, providers, adults with IDD, and we generated 1,006 comments that had a massive impact on being able to get these changes through. Um, and it forced the state to, to respect that the majority of the people they serve wanted this change. We, we're going to need that going forward. So please, you know, sign up for all these, make yourself available. We'll provide you information on, you know, how to write comment, where to send it in, when to send it in. Um, but we really need your voice. Uh, and then the last slide, Michelle. Well, last slide of mine. Um, <laughs> so um, you guys don't want to wait for the deck to come out tomorrow. Screenshot this right now. Um, so the first one is the IDD long-term care webpage, and I could have pages and pages of links. I just picked some really relevant ones right off. Um, uh, so this is the main IDD long-term care page for HHSC. Um, and then you can drill down from there. Um, as far as email notifications go, if you go to that link, that's a, that will take you to a page to sign up for the Gov delivery. Um, and so that's when HHSC publishes information, they do it through something called Gov Delivery. And you can choose which categories of things you want to get. I happen to choose most of them because I follow most of them, but you might pick one or two things that are most important to you. Um, we had a question about uh, what is an LON or a level of need. There's a link on here that explains each of those levels of need um, and the terminology. Um, if you go down to the next one, that's the ISS uh, provider webpage. On that page, there's, um, there's a bunch of different things that are in there. And um, that's the main page for ISS on the HHSC website. So you can go there and you can find out, for example, under um, in-home, what are the criteria that you need to satisfy to be able to qualify for in-home? Um, you can also see the presentations and actually listen to the webinars um, where they're trying to explain to providers how to deliver this service. So that, that may help you. Um, there is a waiver comparison table. So there's seven waivers in Texas. There is a table that HHSC published. It has not been updated since 2018. I'm going to ask them to update it. Um, that it's, it's 24 pages long, right? And it's columns and rows and it explains what services are provided, what aren't, and it defines them. So that may help you to understand some of this. And then the last link is the CBG webinar video library. Um, there are tons and tons and tons of, of great stuff in that library, including those housing webinars. Thank you so much for adding us on there. Um, sure. So yes, when we send you the... Um, slides for this presentation, you'll be able to click on all of those. Of course, you can't click on them right now, but you could take a screenshot if you wanted to. Mike, there are some, of course, uh, we're going to give you all of our contact info so you can sign up for newsletters or sign up to be on our list for um, webinars and all that. Mark's information will be in there as well. Um, so going back up in the chat box a little bit. Yeah, Michelle, I did want to jump on one right away. The last, last one in from Karen. Woman. That yeah. one? Well, no, actually, so um, so the question comes up uh, about class. If your adult child has class and gets pre-evoked, you don't have to worry about the ISS or DAHAB. No, um, ISS is not in the class service array. So no, you don't have to worry about ISS if you're on class. Okay. And then there's a longer question above that. Um, my 24-year-old LON8 nonverbal IDD daughter receives class but I would love to put her in an intentional community. Can class pay any part of that? Um, and then do I have to renounce her on class? You can keep class, right? Even if the, why don't you take a, a look at that question? Yeah, no, I have it. I have it on screen in front of me now. Um, class provides some residential supports. Um, if I remember correctly, it's more oriented toward a support home. 
um, which is looks more like looks more like a host home um, than an intentional community. Um, I'm not aware of, uh, and there's only a handful of of intentional communities in Texas, for example, um, that take HCS. Um, most of them are private pay, and most of them are very expensive. Um, because up until recently, you couldn't use waivers to pay for services in an intentional community. Um, so Daymark Living, um, Brookwood, uh, a variety of others um, are all private pay. Um, but we're hoping we're hoping that by changing the waivers that we create more and more um, communities that where you can use the waiver supports. Um, yeah, you've got somebody who you want to have an intentional community. You may be able to get some things covered um, under class, but probably the balance of it is going to be private pay. Yeah, these things can be very, very expensive. Uh, oh, what about, all right, so let's see, what about private pay? Not the best bit. Um, Yeah, most of them, most of them that I'm aware of don't utilize the respite funding. Um, that's more of a camp kind of thing, or there um, you can use respite in uh, group homes. Um, there's a variety of other settings. If you look at that waiver comparison table, it'll list all the, the settings for it. Um, I encourage you to, to dig into that a little bit more with your case manager at Julita. Mark, is it possible to lose class if you use it incorrectly? Um, well, so you want to, so I'm a, I'm a measure three times cut once kind of person. I always ask more questions before you get into a situation. Um, typically, well, the state will have to approve you to use that, those, that funding in a particular place. Um, that's the first place to have. If somehow something gets screwed up, there is a potential for recoupment. Um, but again, ask enough questions up front. Make sure that your case manager understands what they're talking about. Um, and again, the final rules have not been published yet. So um, we're waiting for that to be published in the Texas Register. And then you should be thinking that these things will truly take effect in March. Um, just when the statewide transition plan hopefully gets gets approved. Okay. Uh, let's see what we got here. Um, oh yeah, share the video library definitely. Um, yeah, absolutely. We yeah. love it when you share our information with any support groups, any friends or family members that can be helped by sharing our information. Absolutely, do that. Um, and if you want us to speak for your group. We can probably work out a webinar, you know, specifically for, for you and your group. Um, just reach out to us for more information on that. Uh, when you receive the slides, we did put a link in there straight to our upcoming webinars. Um, so you can see what's coming up soon here in the next couple of weeks. We actually have them um, scheduled out almost all of next year, but we won't overwhelm you. Um, There's still more questions coming through. I don't know. Yeah, if, I was gonna, I was gonna jump on some of those. Um, yeah, if you want to answer them in the chat so while I go through a little bit of this, or however you want to work that. Uh, well, let's just let's just sort of talk it through. So Rita says right. thank you. I find them very helpful, and others may also. Not everyone is in Texas, but and waivers vary by state, not just different waivers within the state of Texas, but they vary by state because we work in multiple states. Um, uh, let's see, new rules for class. So um, there is a class uh, webpage that has all those details. And you can also look at that comparison chart. We had the link. So look, go to the IDD uh, long-term care page. We had that link in there before. Um, you can also go to, um, oh gosh, what was the other page? Oh, the comparison chart um, to look for what's covered. Um, that should give you a good start. Um, where class provide share information only support group. Yep, biggest there's paying for something that, yeah, well, we don't want anybody to lose any waivers. Um, so again, ask many, many, many questions before you even attempt it. Um, 
uh, it's class residential is limited to, oh, so um, in class residential is limited to non-licensed homes that are not subject to licensure and does not have more than three to four people living them with disabilities that are not related. Again, the state has, we've, we've been able to get some of the restrictive language out of the class waiver, which hopefully will open up more opportunities uh, to use class instead of being restricted to just the few things that they have in there. Um, hopefully that next year will manifest into being able to use it in more places. Um, let's see, living at home and not related. Thanks, you, Darrell. All right. Um, a seven-year-old too young to be in this program. Um, so well, not, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm not sure exactly what program you mean. If it's a waiver program, no, the way there are waiver programs that the state offers that apply to a seven-year-old. Yes, the mm -hmm. only problem is is that some of these waiver programs have waiting lists that are 15 to 17 years long. So uh they would serve a seven-year-old if that seven-year-old's name comes up on the list. But if the waiting list is 15 years long. It's going to be a while. Uh, yeah, we recommend you get on these lists as soon as possible. And um, we can provide more information about how to get on those. As a matter of fact, we have webinars that only talk, you know, we talk about the different waiver programs, how to get on the list, all of that. Uh, we we uh, go over all of that in one of our webinars. So uh, let's see. Um... Dory asked, do you recommend having a specialized attorney on retainer to help navigate these things? Um, you know, you can go to Disability Rights Texas and ask for their help. Um, it is their job to help advocate for your son or daughter to get the services that they're entitled to from the state of Texas, and they do it without a charge. Um, I would start there first and see if they have capacity to help you, um, and, and, and if they can. Uh, John writes, my son, I think he means, oh, he is a hundred. 1,239 on the list for ACS and 189. Oh, uh, it's, it's uh, John, my best interpretation of this is that he's getting near the top of the list, but 1,239 is not exactly near the top of the list um, when they don't even open up that many new waivers a year. Um, it is not uncommon. So your question is, um, is there something I should be doing to secure or look for housing until our number comes up? It's been 17 years. It is not unusual for the families that I work with to purchase a home or rent a home um, and try to arrange for services, some sort of services, maybe even private pay in the home. Um, uh, it depends on your situation. It depends on whether you could get two or three other families to join in with you to do that. Um, and then it's not it's not easy after that. It still gets complicated. Um, let's see, is it okay to place a child on the adult waiver list like Texas Home Living? So I'm actually looking at the chart. Um, class DBMD, HCS, and Texas Home Living, according to the state chart, says they serve all ages. Um, so um, I would explore that with, um, I'd get that side-by-side -side comparison chart, look at what you think might be a better fit call the number, talk to somebody, explain your situation, um, see what they can tell you. Uh, all right, so, all right, let's see. Amy asks, with HCS, is there, oops, scrolled away, is there still no possibility of people who work with an individual to reside in the same home, or is that going to change at some point? Oh, well, um, uh, you can choose a host home or companion care, um, that is covered under HCS. So host home is the individual goes and lives with another family in their home. Companion care is the companion comes and lives with the individual in their home. Um, so that is part of HCS. Um, please be sure to, yeah, very important point. Shelly writes, please be sure to update your information on each waiting list with your LIDA. If you move to different areas, address your telephone. Oh my gosh, yes. And if you haven't heard from them in a year, call them and make sure you're still on the list. Um, Elizabeth asks, what state did I move from? Nevada. Um, but I've been in Ohio before that. Nevada. I've lived all over the country. So I've been here for three and a half years. Um, what is available? So Charlotte writes, what is available for those who are aging and suffer from Alzheimer's or other aging related diseases? 
Um, well, some of the communities that intentional communities in, in the state offer aging in place. Um, it really depends on the severity of that kind of disability. Sometimes more specialized care um, is appropriate. Um, I say this from personal experience. My, my mother and father both um, had dementia. Um, sorry, I'm not sure I have a great answer for that one. <laughs> um, but we can go, you know, we can go, I can go look into that. Let's let Michelle I'll try to make, I'll try to make a point to go look into that. Can we go um, ahead so, and finish up these couple last slides as, as more questions oh yeah, come in and yeah. then hit the rest of the questions that we can get. We have about 10 minutes left. Mm -hmm. I just want to make sure that you know a little bit more about CPG and what we do. Um, you know, we have webinars sometimes three or four times a week on all of these different topics that you see here on your screen. Um, I love the idea that someone was asking if she can share our webinar library with her support group. We would love that. We want to help uh, as many families as possible. We talk about things like um, a special needs care plan, how to plan for future care once you're gone, what that cost is going to look like, all of the Texas waivers and how to get on those interest lists, the difference between SSI and SSDI and when and how to apply for those things and, and who qualifies. Um, we can help you learn about ABLE accounts, beneficiary designations, special needs trusts, and, and all of that information that you might have questions about. Um, our residential living panels, we've done several of those, and we do recommend that you start touring them earlier than when you're going to need them because they can have waiting lists at these residential housing situations and you might find a setting that's perfect for your family and then find later that they have a long wait list. Um, so you wanna get ahead of the game on that. Um, if you're considering guardianship, there are alternatives like just having a POA or a healthcare POA or a, a supported decision-making agreement. But if you're considering guardianship, you can start looking into that or with your, within six months of turning 18. Now that is something that you will have to contact an attorney for. We work with attorneys who specialize in special needs um, topics, just like we do for finances and for financial planning, they do for the legal paperwork side of things. Um, so we can refer you to a great attorney uh, all over the state of Texas who really understands special needs um, topics, not just kind of knows how to do them, but really gets it. Um, and we can also help with post high school education options. Those are out there as well. This is our team real quick. We're based uh, just outside of Houston, just on the South side in Sugarland area. Allison and Jeff are the owners of the company. They're a husband and wife team. And then there's my glamour shot and my husband. Uh, so it's two husband and wife teams that are the financial advisors of the company. And we've got girls who help with paperwork and things. We're a collaborative group, but we're small and independent. Um, so we can really focus on our clients and what they need. And then if you would like to contact Consolidated Planning Group, again, we are the financial planning and benefits and um, special needs planning section of the talk. So you can reach us by calling the phone number, emailing us, our Facebook link is there, our YouTube channel is there. And if you would like to schedule an appointment, we always do a free initial consultation where we learn about you and your family. We answer as many questions of yours as we possibly can. And then we tell you about us and how we work and how we can help your family. So the easiest way to schedule that is to use your phone on that QR link right there. It will open up our calendar and you can just pick a day and time for your appointment. Like I said, it's completely free and confidential. Um, or if, if QR codes aren't your thing, feel free to call or email, email us. All right, back to the questions. That was my quick little commercial. <laughs> All right, and again, I'm gonna be very respectful of people's time. We got six minutes left. So uh, Kim asked, do you foresee any chance that HCS funds can help to pay for living communities such as Daymark Living 
the self-pay cost is $50,000. I know Denmark Living very well. I've consulted with them on that project. They're licensed as assisted living um, and the waivers don't typically pay for that kind of assisted living. Um, they are trying to find a way to make that work. They have been active in helping us advocate for changes to the waivers. Um, I would love to find a way for that to be. I love Denmark Living. I think it's a beautiful community. Um, it is for individuals, mostly for individuals who require less supports and can live more independently. Um, but they do have um, some individuals there who require more supports. But yeah, it's it's pricey. So is Brookwood community um, outside of Houston for anybody who's in that area. Uh, Karen asks, uh, can two or three families on class start a home? Class only pays for one caregiver at a time for each subject. Um, to be honest, Karen, I'd have to dig into that a little bit just to make sure I could answer that question accurately. Um, let's see, Deborah asks, does class only serve in Texas? Yeah, the waivers are state specific. Um, we're sort of fortunate in Texas that the waivers can be used you can move all over the state and use them. You just end up having to work through a different LIDA um, to, uh, to, for your case management and uh, access to services. I will tell you that that is not the case in some of the states we work with. Uh, in Ohio, there are 88 counties. It is county by county. You can't take your funding from one county and use it in another county. Ooh. So we're fortunate in Texas that it's, that it's fairly broad. Um, let's see. Um, moving on down, class test. Oh, there you go. All right, Laura answered that. Thank you. Um, um, do yeah, do notify the state. Um, uh, HCSI, that's an interesting organization to see there. Um, uh, and you're asked who at HHSC do I contact to request an update to the page, uh, that particular page? Um, I don't know. I'd have to dig into that. Um, that looks like a, oh, I know that group. Um, I think I may have an answer for that. So uh, Michelle is just, I want to see if I can remember that name and get back to them. Um, people are answering some of these questions. That's great. Uh, State-based, time. Here's one specifically for you, Mark. How are <laughs> Acres and Autumn Hills Village licensed? Uh, we're not. Um, so Twin Acres is not licensed. Um, it's an independent living community. Um, and we won't be either. Um, we're an independent, we'll be an independent living community. Um, 29 Acres is, um, they have one HCS approved home on their campus and they're working toward getting other homes HCS approved. They were really at kind of the point of the sphere and the waiver changes earlier this year um, because they're, they're largely built and they had been approved as an HCS um, setting and then the state revoked it and then they appealed and they won and then the state revoked it again. Um, but the state has come back and um, uh, I think they're going to be uh, uh, approved uh, for HCS for more than just the one home they have now. Uh, Mark, we have, I think this is gonna have to be the last one. Yep. Uh, Karen's tried to ask, I think several times, she just wants to make sure that she's not going to lose her class benefits. Um, I'm under the impression, and, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, please, that you know you get your class waiver and maybe you can use it for some living arrangements, but typically they don't take waivers, but you're not going to lose your waiver um, if you can't use it for residential services, right? I mean, you just use it for other things. Yeah, it, it serves a bunch of other purposes. It's really good for therapies, by the way, mm -hmm. um, and, and for pre-vocational. Um, no, if you private pay residential, um, you're not going to have an issue with class. Um, right, you won't lose uh, that yeah. waiver if you private pay. No, because it's really providing other services to enable the individual to, to be out in the community as independently as possible, not the residential piece. Right. Um, um, but again, uh, you know, I always encourage... Uh, people, you know, talk to your case managers, tell them what it is you want to do. If you've got a good case manager who's very thoughtful and wants to help you as much as possible, they'll say, you can do this, you can't do that. Um, and ultimately, they're the ones who are, who are going to have to work with you on that. Uh, and we're right, at 59, so I think we're out of time. If you want to take that, otherwise we're going to have to go. Can my family participate? Um, 
you know, this comes up all the time. Can um, I tip my? <laughs> yeah, it's basically. Um, yeah, I don't think you can do like a 1099 or W2 with them. I think it would just have to be, hey, thank you very much. And here's a tip in an envelope. Um, I do that. I help some of my providers. I pay for things that aren't on the waiver just to help them out. Um, and there's a million other questions. And I, um, Michelle, I assume that we'll get a, a log of this. Yeah, we are out of time. Track, but like time. I said, everybody is going to receive an email after this uh, webinar is over. You will receive the link to the recording. You will receive the slides and you will receive uh, my contact info and Mark's contact info. You can reach out to us with mm -hmm. any questions that we didn't get to. Um, thank you again, everybody, for being here, for taking the time to be with us today. We want to respect your time and um, please join us again on our next webinar. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Great week. All right. Yeah, bye -bye. Thank you, everybody. Great questions. Email me. I'll be happy to work with you on it and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.